0: You can be turning in your Bibles to the book of Romans in chapter 5, the letter to those believers in Rome that Paul wrote, and in particular we're going to focus on verse 5 of chapter 5, but we'll read from verse 1 down to get the context. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith. We are able to tap into this, this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God in the hope of heaven, and not only so, we glory in tribulation Also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, or it doesn't let you down or disappoint, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now flip over to chapter 8, Romans 8, and uh, 15, where ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So let us pray. Our Father, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would brood over us, uh, that he would do his work of pouring into our hearts the love of God, your love for us, that we may indeed experience it, that we may uh, enjoy uh, and know the joy of our salvation by thy Spirit's work. Help us now in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I have entitled this message this morning, The Love of Jesus, What It Is, Uh, and my particular goal today is to show the vital connection uh, between the love of God and the doctrine of assurance. So, the title, The Love of Jesus, What It Is, as you may have noticed, I borrowed from the hymn, Jesus, the Very Thought of Thee, but in particular, the third stanza, which reads, but what to what, what to those who find ah this, <clears throat> nor tongue nor pen can show the love of Jesus what it is. None but his loved ones know. So there seems to be in that statement a kind of secrecy and a distinct love that the hymn. Writer wrote that none but his loved ones know. And he also said, and those who find, as if it's hidden or it is not what we have discovered it to be or what we have found. He says, nor tongue nor pen can show, as if this particular and specific love of Jesus, the best poets cannot show it either by their pen Or their tongue. It is unspeakable. It is joy unspeakable. Knowing it that surpasses knowledge. And I have some difficulty, which I have expressed in prayer to the Lord, with the ability of my pen or tongue to show this love, this particular love of Jesus, what it is, even though I, I do feel I am w- one of the loved ones that know. Someone said this year, I think John knows what he's saying, he is just having difficulty saying it. In the third stanza of another hymn we love, Oh, Could I Sing the Matchless Worth, we read, I'd sing the characters he bears And all the forms of love he wears. So first of all, I take from this that his love comes to us in various forms. And would emphasize again that these are the forms of love he wears. We are gazing upon him is the idea. As the man has different changes of clothing he could wear, so our loving Savior has these many splendid forms of love he wears. They are His love forms, what He expresses outward, out of Himself to us. I say again, there's nothing really worthy of our contemplation in considering our love to God. The edification is always the other way around. In seeing and experiencing His love to us. Now, I say this tenderly. If we discover that we are Priding ourselves in our love to God, we will be saddened at how frail that love is when the storms of adversity begin to beat against it. I would say with the strongest emphasis, this love of Jesus by the Spirit poured into our hearts is the very lifeblood of the new man in Christ Jesus. This is at the very heart of our salvation. It is the very heartbeat of salvation and constitutes the joy of salvation. The love of Jesus, what it is. It is so paramount. It is so central. I had thought of changing my title to Paul's words in Corinthians. If I have not love, I am nothing. I'll develop the implications of that statement as we go along. But right here, I want to insert the security aspect of Christ's love. This is because the security feature correlates directly with our assurance, with the doctrine of assurance. Now, most of us are aware that our parents, that children develop and thrive with a keen sense of security. And that security develops... And is strengthened by that child being enveloped in parental love. The more that child is showered in love, the less insecurity they will experience. The newborn is immediately placed on the mother's breast to nurse. As they want this love bond to begin immediately. There are other reasons for this, but there is sadly... A failure to thrive with some newborns if the mother refuses or she's just not able to love and cherish that child, the rejection is devastating, is the point. So do you recognize, beloved, that there is a spiritual failure to thrive and an insecurity in the absence of Christ's love for you as well? Let me give you another example. In Pam and I's premarital counseling, I was provided with some helpful counsel, helpful information, and I was given a charge. The helpful information had to do with the differences between men and women, the way God made us, and what made each of us tick. He said, women love security. And they thrive on a genuine sense of it in every area. Financial security, uh, for example, and that's why husbands, she gets a little nervous and vocal when you're spending money on something that she feels is either frivolous or not needed at all. But also they want to feel safe and secure in your love. Your love for them. They will, they will communicate this in a variety of ways and communicate they must. Not always a two-way conversation. They just want you to listen to them. Make sure you're listening. But because security is cultivated by love in children as well as adults, He gave me the charge to never give my wife or children any reason To doubt my love for them. So I trust you see how essential and necessary Christ's love to us is in liberating us from insecurity. But with lines from both of these hymns, I am very intentionally speaking with or about which love this is. Whether the line is the love of Jesus, what it is, or all the forms of love he wears, which form are we referring to? In in this I'm doing for the sake of clarification. In other words, is the love of God expressed to us and experienced by us always the same type and in the same manner and degree? I would agree that it's not. Neither in manner or degree. Manner is the way it comes. Degree is how much. And this is very important in itself, but a very important distinction to be made. And I'm making it to clarify and to eradicate any confusion that still might exist. For example, I do believe with all my heart that the perfect love, First John describes, that casts out fear and all negativity that disturbs our peace is the same perfect love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is spoken of in Romans 5. But this is not the same as when we mentally reflect upon the love of God as a subject in itself. And so conjure up a form of edification by simply thinking about it. God the Father sending... And Christ dying on the cross was a demonstration of the love of God, indeed the highest demonstration in manner of love that the Father hath bestowed upon us that John invites us to behold. But the beholding of it is something now around 2,000 years ago that takes place in our minds With our minds, we can think about that momentous event. We can reflect. We can muse. We can mull it over. We can roll it over and over in our minds and thinking. But that will not bring it to our hearts and impact our affections as it will in the way the Holy Spirit powerfully sheds it abroad in our hearts. Albeit, this is not a bad thing. To do, it is a good practice to take control of our minds and thinking. And to be transformed by the renewing of them as Paul exhorts. One is a thought. The other is an experience. Romans 5.5 5 is an experience. So, consider this. I'll, I'll say it slowly. Meditation upon the reality will not bring it to our experience. But meditating upon God's what God's Word says about it can be the precursor to the experience and reality of it being shed abroad in our hearts. I say can be the precursor to the experience because sometimes it comes when we're not even looking for it or expecting it. And many saints have testified of this. It's an overwhelming wave that comes over us, perhaps, when we were not even looking for it. So there is a spontaneity with the Holy Spirit, which is his perfect right as he is sovereign God. For example, speaking of the distribution of gifts, Paul affirms, all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally uh, or individually as he will. So it's His prerogative. It is It is His work. So likewise, no fear will be cast out by a perfect love which we conjure up in our minds any more than this perfect love will be shed abroad in our hearts by our spirit or our thinking about it. It is something the Holy Spirit does. It is something that happens to us. This is the, the distinction I want us to see and I, I I keep hearing from time to time, I keep hearing people say things like yeah when i when I think of what God did and sending his son to die on the cross and and reflect on all the ways he manifested his love, it was a great love that did all this for us poor sinners. But when they start with the phrase... When I think, I have the strong urge to immediately stop them and say, that was not my question. That's not what I'm asking. It's not about your thinking or your reflection. My question to you is, has God communicated to you that he loves you? When the apostle says, and to know the love of Christ, he's not talking about knowing about the demonstration of it many years ago. He's talking about knowing his love for you in your heart now. Has he assured your heart of that today? In the last 10 minutes, are you upheld and strengthened by his love to go on and not grow weary each day? And as you step off, are you walking in love, even as Christ also has loved you? Ephesians 5.2 Here's the biggest question. Do you see, beloved, the love of God communicated, poured into, shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit, living breath of God, as absolutely indispensable? Indispensable. Can't live without it. Vital to your existence. No, uh, that's not the clearest way to express it. It's not something vital to your existence. We're all existing. Patients in a coma and life support are, are existing. Paul defined living as something far different than this when he said, for me to live is Christ." Without the love of Christ, which he embodies, his love coming to me, constantly assuring me and proving to me that he truly does love me, I am not living, I am existing. In order for me to live, I must have him. He must receive a constant, my heart must receive this constant supply of and confidence in his love for me. It must warm my heart continually. Paul is saying this is vital. This is very near and dear and personal thing to me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Salvation is a very personal thing. Jesus died to have you, beloved. To have a personal relationship with you. Now, when I was young in the faith, Probably in my teens. <clears throat> Some would ask, is Jesus your personal Savior? And I really don't recall what, what I answered. I wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, especially when it came to the Bible then. But I, I thought, does the Bible pose that question? If He is personal, a personal Savior, then I guess He's not mine. If He is my personal Savior, I guess I'd know it. Does Jesus get that personal? I thought Jesus was far away in heaven. He was far, not near. I didn't think of Him in that way. I didn't think He got that near. I didn't think He got that personal. But now, it's all I live for. If I have Jesus, I have his love. What would Jesus be without love? What is the most attractive thing about Jesus? What is the most attractive thing about the Trinity? What kind of relationship does Jesus want to share with us with his Father? Love. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Don't tell me the old, old story of Jesus if His love is absent. If Jesus' love is not prominent in the story, then you don't have a story. Not not one that I want to hear. I must have Jesus and His love or life is vain. So back then when I didn't even know what witnessing was, they'd say, Jesus loves you. And that hit me in a sweet way. In a softening way. But I thought, really? I still had some dark misgivings about that. I didn't recall Him speaking that to me. Has He spoken to you personally and directly that He loves you? If you cannot answer that just now, does your heart yearn for him to speak? Do you crave that voice? The hymn writer wrote, Speak, I pray thee, gentle Jesus. O oh, how passing sweet thy words. Breathing o'er my troubled spirit, peace which never earth affords. All the world's distracting voices, all the tempting tones of ill, At thy voice so mild, melodious, are subdued and all is still. Tell me thou art mine, O Savior. Speak a true assurance clear. Banish all my dark misgivings. Still my doubting. Calm my fear. Have you experienced, felt the Holy Spirit witnessing this love of Jesus to your spirit the seat of your emotions and deepest affections. This is both the strength and the joy of our salvation. In this, we are fortified. Remember, Jesus purchased for us a relationship, a communion, a fellowship, a friendship. Are we experiencing it? Are we enjoying it? But some may be saying, John, you're getting too personal. You're speaking all this personal language. Well, listen to the personal language Paul uses. He comforts the Thessalonians with it. And us. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Himself. You can't get any more personal than that. And God, even our Father, personal which hath loved us and given everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your heads. Is that what it says? No, my head full of theology, theological knowledge, does not provide comfort. Knowledge puffeth up, Paul says, but love edifieth. And love is what God comforts our hearts with which hath loved us and given everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comforts your your hearts. And then he follows that with, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, because it is there that it will do you the most good. But Paul returns later in that chapter in verse 16 to this personal emphasis, this personal love relationship, where he once again says, now... The Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Apostle Paul made a deep and profound statement that has taken on a whole new meaning for me. I mentioned it at the outset. When he said, if I have not love, I am nothing. This to me speaks volumes of what characterizes my life. And, and really what I feel should be characterizing every Christian's life. I can't speak for you. I don't know how the world has traumatized you and challenged your faith in the past or present. But for me, a, a sort of revolution has taken place in a rearrangement of priorities. God has done it, I'm convinced. And it has to do with Paul's pronouncement, his admission to the believers at Corinth. If I have not love, I am nothing. Now granted, we've already talked about this. The primary thrust of what he was referring to in First Corinthians 13 was his demonstrating charity to others. But never forget that this is the same man that, that declared that we love him because he first loved us and we wouldn't even know how to show love nor had motivation to do so without the confidence that he loves us, that he is loving us now. We must get this. See that his love streaming to us is the very lifeblood of our Christian lives. It's not a side dish or a fringe benefit. The great apostle before and after his conversion was a very strong-willed individual. He was a man of incredible determination and with that accomplished incredible feats. But he also committed incredible atrocities and evil. He was a zealot. You get a picture of his personality and attitude by how the scripture describes him and how he described himself when he was talking to Timothy. In Acts 7.58, he was the young man at whose feet those who murdered Stephen laid their clothes Almost like they were rolling up their sleeves. But then Saul was not only an eyewitness to the stoning of Stephen, but consented to it. The ESV says he approved his execution. Most likely egging them on and perhaps watching this cruelty is what incited his own wrath as we find him described in the next chapter. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Ravaging, entering into every house, hailing, dragging off men and women, committed them to prison. In Acts 9, one, listen to the tone of this madman. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And you know, this whole event, he talks to Timothy and he tells Timothy, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I have obtained mercy. For what cause? For what reason? That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe in him To life everlasting. He's saying, if they look at my life, they can say, if he saved somebody like Paul, he can save me. So what I want you to see is a man that was totally turned around, and he was turned around by love—a love so astounding to Paul that he probably not—he never got over it. Um, And that, as violent and cruel and injurious as he was, and that. Combined with the untold number of sinful acts he had committed against Christ and Christians, that Christ forgave him all and then never ceased to love him dearly. But it wasn't just this initial encounter with the love of Christ. This wondrous love. It sustained him through all the work that Jesus had for him to do the rest of his life. This love of Jesus that burned within his heart not only sustained him, but constrained him. He could not do otherwise. In a good way, he was held captive by this love in such a way that nothing else mattered. Everything became secondary to this. This is what he lived for and nothing else by comparison was worth living for. And so we hear him saying, for me to live is Christ." So what I also see even more deeply by an almost identical statement, if I have not love, I am nothing. By nothing he means an otherwise meaningless life. A meaningless existence. Useless. Of no use to myself and of no use to others. And have not love, I am nothing. Can we say that? Let me give an example of how I am nothing Works. I can look out the window and see green grass and trees blown by the gentle breeze. I see white, fluffy clouds against a pretty blue sky. I see a vivid red cardinal singing, seated on the white fence. But because at that point there is a void in my soul and this love of Christ is absent... There's an emptiness in, in a vanity to it. I see it, but I don't see it. Because I have not love, I am nothing. I see nothing. Of pleasure and fulfillment, I experience nothing. But on the other hand, if the Holy Spirit stirs the love of Christ in me and it begins to course through my veins, I am awakened. And now see through new eyes, through Christ's eyes, it seems... All is bright and fair. The heavens declare the glory of God. Have you ever stood immobilized before something you really enjoyed doing the day before, but you can't move today? Do you see how vital and indispensable the love of God is to us, dear children of God? Oh sure, I can I, I can move and live and have my being. I can go through... The motions of life without a consciousness of his love for me. But it's lifeless. It's empty. Sometimes desolate. Without love, I am nothing. I also want to emphasize in a huge way that there's a direct correlation with the form of love I am referring to and the doctrine of assurance. This is also where the subject of assurance comes in with this vital connection, which I hope to clarify for your edification. There's also an important connection as a side, I might say, there's also an important connection between this form of love and the doctrine of sanctification. And I keep emphasizing the word form as in all the forms of love He wears or ways His love comes to us. Know this, His love coming to us in any form, be it the mind or the heart, has a direct bearing on our assurance. Our confidence of God's love for us is bolstered by His love coming to us. Where there is an absence in the assurance that God does truly love me, there is no peace. Simply put, where there is an absence of God's love, there is an absence of assurance. And as I said, I'm dull, listless, Unmotivated. How can any child of God be motivated in the least degree if he doubts if he is a true adopted son of God? I believe that one of the most beautiful, if not the highest and most loving work of the Holy Spirit is granting assurance to one who doubts he is a child of God or a true son. Listen closely to Romans 8, 15 and 16 where the the Apostle is talking specifically about sonship, spiritual adoption. For ye have not received the spirit, small s, of bondage again to fear, to worry, to doubt, to wonder, but ye have received the spirit, capital S, of adoption, whereby, or by whom we cry, Abba, Father, If you don't have a father, you're not going to be crying, Abba, Father. It's the confirmation that God is your father. The Spirit himself beareth witness. And just what exactly does he bear witness to? That we are indeed sons, the children of God. That's what our hearts long to know, isn't it? That's what our hearts long to hear. In a court of law, eyewitnesses tell the truth. Everyone, save the criminal, wants to know the truth. The judge needs to know the truth. An eyewitness means one who saw the crime with their very own eyes. So they can bear witness. They can testify to the truth. The Holy Spirit testifies, bears witness, tells the truth to our spirit that we are truly the children of God. That we are loved of the Father. And how does he communicate it to us? Bear witness to the fact that we are saved. It's not an audible voice, obviously. He speaks to what Paul calls the inner man. Or spirit receives the witness of his spirit. And what does he communicate? Assurance. Assurance. The highest form of assurance of God's love to us. For love is the message He speaks loud and clear. And when I I say loud, I mean in a strong way, in a big way, in a certain unmistakable convincing way. He sheds abroad. He pours. Lloyd Jones says this word speaks of great profusion, a kind of gushing forth. And what is the message that floods my heart in this manner and hope maketh not ashamed does not fail or disappoint because the love of God the love of God is shed abroad poured profusely in into our hearts by the holy spirit which is giving to us it is a sweet assurance that i cannot obtain by deduction or by completing The first John tests of self examination. If I have not this confidence, if I have not this assurance, if I have not this perfect love constantly abiding, constantly communicated to my heart, I am nothing. The love of Jesus, what it is, none but his loved ones know. It is beautiful. For his love is strong as death. It is stronger. Many waters cannot quench it. Cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned, scorned, despised. If I have not love, I am nothing. Oh may our God who is love shed abroad in great profusion His perfect love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us now and forever, that we may abide, live in His love. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Let's pray. So you tell us, Jesus, to continue in your love. Is this something that we are able to do? Is this something within us? We long for it. Speak, gentle Jesus. Banish all our dark misgivings. Shed abroad. Pour your Spirit into our hearts. This love of God that lifts us. That gives us a future hope, that gives us the ability to successfully live life now, to enjoy the salvation that you purchased at such a cost. You said the joy of the Lord is our strength, and if we are not experiencing this great love wherewith you have loved us, we don't have much strength. So we pray. We pray for the rest of this day. We pray for the remaining uh, message and, and things as we fellowship that You would overshadow, that You would come upon us, that You would fill us, that You would permeate us, Holy Spirit, that You would baptize us with the great love. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat>